0: Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us, and by your Holy Spirit, shape and fashion us in your likeness. You've promised, Lord, that your word is powerful, that when it goes forth, it always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it, and so, with grateful hearts, we acknowledge that, we confess that today, and pray that you would make us ready to receive it, that we might be the work that you do with your word today. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. So beginning in verse 15, I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So have you ever considered, for a moment, from a certain perspective, how strange it is that... Each week, at least once a week, we all, and about a billion other people around the world, gather together to read and talk about a book that is thousands of years old and written in an entirely different part of the world, in an entirely different language, in an entirely different time. If you think about it, that's really weird. We take it for granted, but if I were to offer an opportunity to gather each week to sing some songs and read Plato's Republic, I don't know how many of you would come. And if you did come, you would be the weirdest of all. But here we are, gathering each week to read the sacred text of a Middle Eastern tribe from a, the late Bronze Age called the Hebrews, and then, of course, a second addition to that book, added by a splinter group that emerged in the Roman Empire— Why do we do this? Why this book of all books? Why is it the scriptures that Christians seek to obey? I just want to begin by acknowledging that in our modern world, this is a very strange thing to do. This is not normal. There are lots of people who don't do it and who think that we here are a little bit strange or backwards or even crazy for so doing. I I expect all of us have friends or relatives who have asked us, do you really believe the Bible is God's word? Do you, do you really believe what, what Christians say about the Bible? And if so, why the Bible? It's a good question, and maybe you weren't quite sure what to say. And this morning I am resisting the urge to give a, as comprehensive a defense as I can of the Bible's trustworthiness and reliability. I don't want to give a kind of a lecture on why you should believe the Bible, other than to say two quick things. One is that we often hear objections to the Bible's inspiration and authority along the lines of something like, um, it, we, it has contradictions, it condones slavery, that people interpret it to mean whatever they want. We don't often hear like specific objections to what's in the Bible. We, we just sort of hear stuff that causes cracks in our foundation. So I just want to say two things. One is that one of the great things about reading an ancient text that billions of people have read read for centuries is that there is nothing that hasn't been noticed before. So without getting into any specific troublesome passage, I just want to invite you to consider that there's nothing you can read that great minds have not noticed before, which means that there are explanations that people have found satisfactory for hundreds of years. So if you find something uh, that that you struggle with in the Bible, I just want to encourage you to know that if you are willing to look, you can find answers to those objections. And secondly, if you would like to talk about this more, speaking for Pete and myself, there is probably nothing we would rather do than get together with you over coffee or over lunch and talk about what you struggle with in the Bible. That's actually... Why I became a pastor was to do that sort of thing. So please, on behalf of Pete and myself, we would love nothing more than to wrestle with you about what's in the Bible, the specifics. But we're thinking about the Bible in a foundational way, and so rather than give a lecture on sort of defending specific objections, I want to look at this passage we've read this morning and see what it has to teach us on the subject of the Bible. And I want to frame this whole conversation with the, a great answer to the question, why the Bible, that was given by the great scholar John Stott. He says this What is the major reason why evangelical Christians believe that the Bible is God's Word written, inspired by His Spirit, and authoritative over their lives? It is certainly not that we take a blindfolded leap into the darkness and resolve to believe what we strongly suspect is incredible. Nor is it because the universal church consistently taught this for the first 18 centuries of its life, though it did, and though long tradition is not lightly to be set aside. Nor is it because God's word authenticates itself to us as we read it today by the majesty of its themes, by the unity of its message, and by the power of its influence, though it does all this and more. No, the overriding reason for accepting the divine inspiration and authority of scripture is plain loyalty to Jesus. And this is, where I wanna, this is how I want to think about the scriptures today. Why we must obey them. Why they are central and determinative and authoritative over our lives as Christians. They are authoritative because of Jesus. And so there's three points. If you want to take notes, these are the three points from our passage this morning that I want us to think about. We obey the scriptures as Christians because, one, loving Jesus means loving the Bible. Two following the Holy Spirit's leading means following the Bible's teaching, and three, understanding the Bible means obeying the Bible. So, loving Jesus means loving the Bible, following the Holy Spirit's leading means following the Bible's teaching, and understanding the Bible means obeying the Bible. So, first, loving Jesus means loving the Bible. There are a lot of people, as suspicious as people are about the Bible I think most people today are pretty well disposed towards Jesus. Most people like Jesus, and the problem is that they assume that the Bible gives us a contorted picture of who Jesus is. That's the objection. That's what is behind the sort of, um, I don't know if you all saw in April, the uh, right before Easter, as you would expect, there was um, headlines about this papyrus found uh, talking about the gospel of Jesus' wife. Did you all hear about that? What's, what's motivating that whole thing, which has turned out in the last few weeks to be quite probably a forgery from 2012, but what's, what's motivating that whole thing is this sense we have that the Bible doesn't give us straight dope about Jesus, that it somehow the apostles sort of changed what Jesus was really talking about, this, this message of Jesus. He was just a like, cool, nice, laid-back guy who taught people to be nice to each other, and then it was his disciples that turned this humanitarian message Which we could all agree on into this divisive religion called Christianity. That's that's how the thinking goes. You can't trust the Bible's picture of Jesus. Now, there's a few things to say here. We might point out that historically speaking, this would be impossible because there's no way, first, that Jesus would be crucified if all he did was tell people to be nice to each other. Second, the disciples were too busy being fed to lions for 300 years to worry a whole lot about gaining power and control. And third, the biblical gospels were all written within a generation of Jesus' death by people who knew him personally or based on the testimony of people who knew him personally, which means that you can't get any historically closer to Jesus than the gospels we have in our Bible. But the problem, the other problem with trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and the Bible is that Jesus himself doesn't allow it. We read that this morning. Look at what he says in our passage, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. What's he saying? He's saying that if you love Jesus, you will love his word. You will love his teaching. A love for God's son entails a love for his word. And so I think it's probably fair to say that you can can probably measure the health of your spiritual life, your relationship with Jesus by asking yourself, do I hunger for his word? Do I long to learn more of Jesus through his word? What is my attitude towards the Bible? Because Jesus is saying here, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In my Bible here, and maybe yours, has printed the words of Jesus in red letters. You can can see if you want, there's red letters. Uh, I don't don't really love this for two reasons. One is because the red is very hard to see when I'm trying to read it up here in these lights. But the other reason is that it creates this this, um, false distinction between the words that Jesus said and the rest of the Bible. And so sometimes people will say, I want to follow the teachings of Jesus. I love what he's saying here in John 14. I want to follow his commandments, so I'm going to focus on the red letters that we find in the Bible. But the only problem with this is that the red letters themselves tell us to honor the whole Bible. So you can't do that. You can't follow the red letters of Jesus without following the whole Bible. Jesus said about the Old Testament, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Anyone who relaxes any of these commandments is going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. He also says in John 5, If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted Deuteronomy. When he was crucified, he recited the Psalms. So if we love and follow Jesus, we're going to love the Old Testament because Jesus loved it. I don't trust the Old Testament because I have this fascination or interest in ancient Near Eastern history and think it has some relevance to our lives today. That's not the main reason. The main reason that I trust the Old Testament is because Jesus is risen from the dead, and he trusted it. As for the rest of the New Testament, you notice in our passage that Jesus says a couple interesting things about the Holy Spirit. Actually, the Holy Spirit's all over this passage. But in verse 17, he calls calls him the spirit of truth, who will, in verse 26, teach you, and he's speaking to his disciples, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what is Jesus promising here? Well, if he has other, in other places affirmed the Old Testament, here he's validating the rest of the New Testament because he's promising that the Holy Spirit is going to come to ensure that the disciples don't mess it up, don't change his message, but that they will lead him to remember all the things that Jesus has said, that he will bring to them their minds, all lead them into all truth. And so unless Jesus is lying here or unless he is mistaken, we can trust that the Holy Spirit continued to inspire the work of the apostles whom he sent out in his name. And so it doesn't work to just think about, I just want to follow Jesus, I'm not going to worry about the rest of the Bible, because Jesus was worried about the rest of the Bible. And so if we love and follow Jesus, if we believe in him, that means at the very least that we believe that he's right in what he teaches. And Jesus is teaching here that it is impossible to love him and not love his word. So the the practical implication of this, I think, is... um, our basic posture when we come to the Bible. And I've done this before. I like to, I like to uh, illustrate this with two examples of men from history who came at the Bible in different ways. And the first is Thomas Jefferson. Now, maybe you've heard about the Jefferson Bible. You can buy it at Barnes Noble, I'm pretty sure. But what Thomas Jefferson did, the way he came to the Bible, was, it was he approached it with a kind of critical evaluative posture. And so what he actually did is he read through the Bible and all the stuff that he knew couldn't possibly be true, he literally cut out with scissors, which I think most of us do, metaphorically speaking. But Thomas Jefferson at least had the consistency of his convictions to cut it right out of the Bible. So things like, you know, the miraculous things that everybody knows or everybody in the 18th century thought didn't happen, healings, feeding of the 5,000, resurrection, you know, little things like that. He just took them out. Now, I hope I don't have to explain the problem with this. I hope it's obvious that what we are doing when we do this, and not only Jefferson did it, we all do it to some degree, is that we're, we're making God follow our expectations. We're confining God to what we already think before we read his word. We're coming close-minded to what the Bible has to teach. And you might say that we're actually creating a God in our own image when we do that. The second posture is exemplified by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a brilliant, courageous man, theology professor at age 22, Nazi resistor, eventually executed in a concentration camp. And so, here's the way that he comes to the Bible. He says the best thing to do is to simply confess when you come to a difficult passage, rather than cutting it out, to simply understand that we do not yet, or simply acknowledge that we do not yet understand this or that passage in Scripture. But we are certain that even that passage will be revealed one day as God's own word. He says, I would rather make that confession than to try to say, according to my own opinion, this is divine and this is human. This is a way of coming to the Bible ready to learn, open, receptive. And I'm actually saying that that's the loving way to come to the Bible because this is the way we treat people we love, right? When we aren't sure we understand what they're saying, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We ask questions, we try to clarify, we try to understand, all in an effort to know this person better. Well, this is how I think we practically show our love for Jesus, by coming to the Bible with a loving and open receptivity, ready to learn, ready to hear, not surprised when it challenges us, expecting that the God who created the whole universe is going to have some thoughts that are beyond our thoughts, rather expecting that it will be more than our minds can fully grasp. So a big part of how we love Jesus is how we receive his word. The second point, following the Holy Spirit's leading, means following the Bible's teaching. As I said, the Spirit's role in this section is huge. A few Bibles call this section Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit. But we saw that what the Holy Spirit does, we've already seen this, primarily is lead the disciples into a greater and deeper understanding of the word of God. So the principle here is that the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Holy Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God never contradicts the Holy Word of God because they both proceed from God. What the Holy Spirit does is illumine, shine light, clarify, help us understand, leads us deeper into the truth of God's written word, but never beyond or away from God's written word. The Spirit leads us deeper in to the truth of Scripture. And just by the way, one of the ways the Spirit often does this is through other people. God loves to use other people, and so that's why when we come to something that we're struggling with, it's so important to go to people in our small group or go to an elder or go to somebody that that has walked uh, through these pages and ask them, "What what do you make of this? That's how the Holy Spirit often shines light on the word of, on the Bible, The other promise here, I think, from our passage is that when when Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all the truth, there's an incredible promise here that I think is for us, that we can believe that the very same Spirit that inspired the writing of the Bible, that oversaw its compiling and its editing and its preservation throughout the centuries, is the very same Holy Spirit that will help us understand it if we ask him to. The Spirit is active in the Word, and the implication here for our spiritual lives is that there can be no distinction between a life of following the leading of the Spirit and a life obeying the Scriptures. And often we kind of hold these things at at odds. Like people who who focus too much on the Bible kind of have their spirituality squelched. They become uh, like lawyers or something, quibbling over jots and tittles of the Bible. Well, you might be rigid and doctrinaire, but it's not the Bible's fault. Jesus is saying here that when we dive into these pages, wrestling, asking questions, praying for our spirit's guidance, he says this in verse 21, in verse 23, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and then listen to this, I will love him and manifest myself to him. So do you want Jesus to manifest himself to you? Would you like that? Well, he's saying that the way to this is through loving and following his teaching and his word, Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Do you want God to dwell with you in your life? Do you hear what he is doing here? Jesus is saying that the very vitality of our spiritual life is connected to our love for Jesus expressed through the keeping of his word. He's making biblical fidelity and spiritual vitality connected like this. This leads us to the third and final point if we want to experience vibrant life-giving spirituality we need to know that understanding the bible ultimately means obeying the bible having said everything i've said about the indispensable centrality of god's words in our in our lives it's also true that we can know a lot about god's word and still be completely missing the point It happened in Jesus' day. He corrected the Pharisees and scribes, saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's them that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you can have life. He finishes the Sermon on the Mount by saying that there's people who hear his word and do them. Whoever hears his word and does it is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Whoever hears his word and does not do it, is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So it's clear that we we can hear God's word and yet miss the point. We are not fully understanding the Bible unless we are obeying the Bible. Francis Chan, the pastor from California, has a great illustration of this. Some of the youth have heard this before. It's the best illustration I know of of this, actually. He says, if I say to my kids, clean your room, how will I know that they have understood me? Ultimately. Not if they nod their heads when I say it. Not if they say, okay, daddy. Well, I know they have understood me say, when I say, clean your room, when their room is clean. Right? On Mother's Day, we get an amen for that. That's what the father is after. So we don't want our kids to come back to us and say, dad, I memorized what you said. I prayed about it. I thought about it. I did a word study in Greek on the phrase, clean your room. I got some friends together, and we, we, we taught, had a big discussion about what it means today to clean our room in this culture and context in the 21st century. That would not show understanding, right? That would show evasion. And so it is so often with God's word in our lives. We know what it says. We've heard it, we've read it, we've studied it, but the fullest understanding of God's word is demonstrated in lives of obedience. We don't really get it until we've lived it. And that means this, that this idea, this doctrine of the inspiration of of scripture, almost it's not so much an idea to defend as an invitation to experience. You won't really understand the authority of God's scripture until you step down on it And count on it and see that God is faithful in it. So to close, what does it look like to obey God's word, to live according to the commands, instructions, and invitations of God in Scripture? Does it make us more successful, more wealthy, more charming at parties? Romans 12, 1-2, which is framing this whole series, says that the flip side of having your mind transformed by God's word and spirit is that you will be not conformed to the world. And to be not conformed is to be different To be standing apart from, sometimes standing against. And that means that sooner or later, the man or woman or student or child who loves Jesus by loving his word is going to be made fun of. We might as well just be ready for it. Nonconformity eventually means suffering. Obedience to God is not without cost. It's not without cost internally because God will show you things in yourself that you need to leave behind. Not everything in God's word is easy to hear, but why did we ever think it would be? It's also costly externally because when we commit ourselves to living in obedience to God's word, our lives and our convictions eventually run up against the ways of the world. What the Bible teaches about sin, the world finds offensive. What the Bible teaches about generosity, the world finds absurd. What the Bible teaches about sexuality, the world finds benighted or bigoted. What the Bible teaches about Jesus, the world finds exclusive. What the Bible teaches about forgiveness, the world finds irresponsible. What the Bible teaches is the way to life, the world considers the way of foolishness. But we show our love for Jesus by our love for the Word. We follow the leading of the Spirit by obeying the teaching of Scripture. We show that we understand the Word by living lives of joyful obedience. And so we follow and obey this book because here and only here do we find Jesus, the risen Savior of the world. We love and follow it because we love and follow him. Let us pray. Lord, we ask you to help us understand your word, to follow you, to experience you in obedience to it. We ask you to help us to do that even this week as we head out into the world. Lord, it is a world that is in need of you. So we ask you to be at work among us, among those who are in need in those places in the world where there is so much suffering and heartache. We think of those girls who are still being sought out in Nigeria. We think of those people in Ukraine who are suffering, whose lives are at risk. We think of our own neighbors and our own families and the brokenness and need that is within. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would shine your Holy Spirit's light into our hearts and upon the pages of your word, that we might understand your will, that we might discern what is good and perfect, and that we might live freely, joyfully, and obediently in your kingdom. Lord, we know that there are more heartaches in this room than we can even name. We know that we live in a broken world, and we pray that you would hear the heaviness the sadness, the need, and also the joys and the celebrations as we join our voices together as your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.